we don't receive an offering the way that we we used to. We have that term that all of us are becoming more and more familiar with in our life. It's called new normal, right? New normal. What is the new normal? Well, it depends on the day. But our giving is now electronically, and you can still do it other ways, but that would be simply snail mail, just mailing into the office, or if you're here on campus, dropping it in the agape box there at the back. But uh, the easiest, safest COVID-19 approved method is to do it electronically. And you can text that in, that number goes up there. And if you have trouble electronically, you can always contact the church office and we'll get our IT guys in touch with you and help you with that. But thank you for your faithfulness in giving to the Lord. As we prepare for communion today, um, we continue on in a series that I've titled Hope in the Dark, and I remind you this every week, that uh, Peter was writing this general epistle to those that were in Rome that were suffering under tremendous persecution in the world in his day. But um, again, this wasn't written to a specific church, it was written to a specific people, and that's you and me, that's the church at large. And there is persecution today. There are uh, strenuous days and times we live in, perilous, the Bible says, and uh, we find ourselves in those same conditions even today, and so it's, a, it's a, a wonderful word for each and every one of us. The text this morning, you'll find if you have your Bible handy, is 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 7 here this morning, and uh, I titled this morning's message one word, and it's the word remember, and uh, I share with you all the time you know, that uh, we forget the things that we need to remember, and we do what? We remember the things that we need to forget. How many, by a show of hands, that that describes you? You forget the things that you need to remember. Thank God for many of the wives that are here today. Um, they help remembering. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I always appreciated about Pastor Chuck Smith was Pastor Chuck Smith, you know, when, whether it was a difficult um portion of, of scripture that was hard to understand, or maybe was of much debate within the body of Christ, or maybe just a, a season of life that, uh, whether it was the church going through it, or just an individual church going through it, or just people in the church, he had this way, and if you, how many listened, used to listen to pastors, not that you don't listen to him now, but how many used to listen to Pastor Chuck Smith? Yeah, and I always loved his voice, didn't you? When you listen to Chuck, it really didn't matter what Chuck was talking about. It was like talking to your grandpa or listening to your grandfather. And there was something soothing about his voice. There was a confidence that you would get when you would listen to him. But he would say this, and he said it all the time. It became a, a Chuckism, as you might say. And he would say, and I, and I love to remind you of this, he would say to us, especially as senior pastors, uh, he would do, every year at our, our senior pastor's conference, he would say, you know, guys, never trade what you do know for what you don't know. Never trade, because there's always new winds of doctrine, right? And there's always things that have come along and, you know, there's this pressure and we'll see some of this, you know, the older versus the younger and the younger saying, well, this is how we should do it now. And, you know, and da, 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 da. And there's, there's, a, there's a tension that exists there. And, and Chuck would just lovingly, you know, graciously, mercifully just come alongside and go, you know, don't trade what you do know for what you don't know. And there's something about that when I, I think about this this week studying, you know, 1 Peter chapter 5, that it reminded me of why um, 
not that I went into the ministry because the reason I went into the ministry is my wife and I, as we loved working with youth, we felt like in our own life experiences and the things that really where we had failed, not where we had succeeded, that we could kind of stand at the crossroads of life and help young people not make the same mistakes, you know, that we made ourselves. But when I went into full-time ministry and then ultimately became the senior pastor of this church, really the, the thing that and I thought about this a lot this week in, in 1 Peter 5. What I love about being a pastor is the opportunity that it gives me to remind people of the hope that we have in God when life is at its worst. I always have enjoyed coming alongside people. I feel like my strength in ministry is in counseling when I'm counseling with somebody who's really hurting and going through a really difficult time because I can always take them back to just what Pastor Chuck would say. I don't, I don't know everything that you're going through, but this I do know. And I, that's why I say it all the time. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, we have a tendency when we're hurting, we have a tendency when we're struggling to forget the things that are really important because we're distracted, you know, by pain. Pain, pain gets our attention, as I've, I've been sharing with you. And understand this, in First Peter, I think it's something like 15 times either the word pain or suffering is either mentioned or it's alluded to. And so a lot of what Peter is addressing has to do with suffering. And what I really appreciate about chapter five is here he is, you know, now instructing elders and shepherds, you know, is basically what he's saying is in one word, he's going, remember, you know, don't, don't get all distracted. Even as a pastor, we get all distracted. I mean, I, I, I love, you know, and, and how do I say this? You know, we're in the middle of a firefight here within the ministry in, in the United States today. I mean, I think you guys know that, right? I mean, there's people that, that hate my guts because I'm standing at this pulpit today talking to people that are inside of a building because they, they think, you know, basically I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rot in hell because I am defying the government of the United States of America and, and the government of California in particular, that I am, I am not a good Christian. I mean, I've had people tell me, and I've had people write it to me, you know, because I, I, I am a, a false teacher, a false shepherd, because I am telling you, I mean, people that used to go to this church, people that served in leadership, you know, if you called them on it, they'd probably back out of it, you know, but, but that's what they told me, you know, is that they couldn't serve in a church where the pastor was, you know, living in defiance, you know, open rebellion against the California state government. And I'm like, I'm not following the government. I, I never followed the government. I follow Jesus. And sometimes, and you're going to, you know, you're going to learn this, this next year, you know, Mark and I were having a conversation about it yesterday. Um, the darkest days I think of our country are still in front of us. If you thought that the civil war was something, just wait till this next year. And I'm like I said, I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but I can tell you based on what scripture says and what must take place, you know, and these are the things as to why Peter wrote, this general epistle. This wasn't just go, you know, go, oh, we're going to study biblical history here, and we're going to learn about things that happened a long time ago. No, this is a general epistle. This isn't written to a specific church. This work is written to you and to me to understand the days and the times in which we live in. And perilous times, Jesus said, we're going to come. The rubber is going to meet the road. There is pain and there is suffering. It's a part of life but there's a suffering for righteousness sake. And so again, there's people today because if you don't, you know, toe the line with regard to the government, you know, that you go, Hey, then, you know, you're not, you're not a good Christian. And you go, and I've shared with you. And I love that quote that, you know, um, 
if if being a good citizen makes you a bad Christian, then you know you have to make a determination in your heart. I, I can no longer be a good citizen because the ultimate goal of my life is to be a good Christian. Amen. And there's going to be a tension there. And that then it becomes what? An issue of faith. And it becomes an issue of faith for each and every one of us, you know, and each one of us is given a measure of faith. And so with that in mind, when I look at this, like I said, I, I love, I love being a pastor in moments like this. I, I'm not, I'm not afraid I'm not, I've never worried about what people would say about me or what people would think about me. I'm only concerned about what God thinks about me and what God one day will say to me. And that's what I remind you. I go, don't, in the true sense, follow me, follow the Lord. Because one day you're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account of your life. And he's not going to let you off by going, well, you know, I, I just listened to what Pastor Mike said. No, the Bible says you are to study to show yourself approved to God. Now, some people will say, well, you, you have to have a theology degree. Then, you know, well, that's not what it says. And, you know, I don't know any of the apostles, maybe apart from maybe uh, Luke, who was a physician, that had any, any kind of degree. Um, they were men that loved Jesus. And they, as scripture says, uh, they spent time with Jesus. And so you look at that, you know, throughout scripture and you have to go, you know, the, the key in your life and in my life is to follow the Lord. It's to honor, is to honor God in your life. And yes, you want to study the Bible because you're going to give an account to God one day. You're not going to be able to blame it on somebody else. You're not going to be able to claim, well, this is what you thought. It really comes down to following Jesus by faith in your life. And Jesus said that to the disciples. He said, when the Lord returns, will he find faith upon the earth? Are people going to be faithful or are they going to be faithless? And so Peter here, in the face of all this adversity, remember the time frame about 64 AD, the church is suffering tremendous persecution under Caesar Nero. And so Peter's exhorting them and encouraging them to remember that, hey, pain is part of it. And I shared that with you last week. I'll share it with you this morning. Remember, you know, that pain is what? It's temporary, but glory is what? It's eternal, okay? And you got to remind yourself of that. One of the great blessings I have as your pastor is to get to remind you of that because people get to that place and, and what do you want to do? You want to quit. You want to roll over. There, there's a tension that exists there and to say, hey, stay with it. And you know that if you stay with it, you've discovered it in many aspects of your life. It doesn't make it easy, but it definitely, you get a taste of what the glory is. You know, people talk about that, the glory, you know, of victory. And the, you know, I used to like to watch the wide world of sports and remember how it started, you know, it had the thrill of victory and the what? And what was the picture of the agony of defeat? Do you remember that? It was a skier. <laughs> Imagine being that poor guy, you know, for you. Hey, you're the skier. Ooh. I mean, he's just, da-dum, 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 you know. And you go, but that's, it's temporary. Pain is temporary, but glory is eternal. I, I want to read this with you. And, you know, again, here's Peter, again, in a word, he's, he's saying, remember, you know, all the pain, all the hurt, all the suffering, it's all part. COVID has brought all those things, you know, into our life. And, and, and Peter's going, but remember, don't lose sight. Don't get so distracted by all these things that you lose sight and start making all your decisions. Because I know it today, and you know people that are making every one of their life decisions based on COVID. And that is so sad because COVID isn't your life. You know, my Bible, your Bible, Colossians says, Jesus Christ, who is our life, when he appears... You know, 
again, we will appear with him in glory. And so, again, it's staying focused on him. Read this with me in the first Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, and, and then we'll, we'll pray and we'll, we'll jump into this, these, these seven verses here this morning. It says, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, so he shifts gears here from elders. Now he says, likewise, you younger people submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. So now he talks to everybody. And be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Well, that's where we'll stop today. And Father, we thank you for this word, and I pray that, Lord, you just massage it into our minds. And then as we receive communion today, you, Jesus, you said it yourself. You said, as often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup. You proclaim your death until you come. And you said, do this in remembrance of me. And Lord, help us to remember the cross today, the power, the power of the cross and what it's provided for us, the forgiveness of our sin, the guarantee that we have life because you live, Lord. We live because our lives are hidden in you. May all the distractions of COVID-19 and all the the fear and the anxiety of which it's brought into our world, or may that be cast aside today, and may we see clearly that you are high and lifted up, Lord. We love you, we bless you, we give you this time as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So there in verse 1, obviously he's talking to the elders there, and so you see that word elders, and it's from the, the Greek word Presbyteros, it's where we get our English word Presbyterian, and it refers to someone who's mature, right? Someone who's usually older and wiser. It's taken from the Old Testament. We see that with regard to the nation of Israel in the book of Exodus, and you can look that up yourself, just chapter 3, chapter 12, chapter 19. And it, it speaks of, when you think of this word elder, it's talking about someone who's mature, someone who's wise. Usually it is a reference to older people. You know, being older should, you know, be some qualification, you know, for leadership in the lives of other people, you might say. And here, you know, in First Peter, wisdom, it doesn't really have anything to do with a specific age. Like I said, you know, some people who are young, um, you know, they're wise beyond their years. You ever thought of somebody who's young like that? And they're literally, they are wise beyond their years. And then somebody who's extremely old, and you're going, and that person has just never grown up. So it's not necessarily age-related, but it can be age-related here. When you think about Peter specifically, you know, Peter, again, every time that he's mentioned in the Bible, he's always first. Whenever you see any list of the disciples, it always speaks of Peter first. We always think of the Apostle Paul, right? When you think about influence and leadership in the New Testament, because he wrote two-thirds of it, basically. But Peter was the initial leader of the church. Peter is the one that everyone looked to, and especially in times of trouble, because much, this is only, you, you realize this, this is only 30 years. Jesus, you know, 
died in 33 AD, basically, and this is now 64 AD. So you go, so uh, 30 years later. So here's Peter, and he's realizing, you know, the fulfillment of prophecy with regard to his own life, that the Lord has told him that he was going to suffer many things and that he was ultimately going to die. He said, you know, that I'll, I'll show you the death by which you'll die to bring glory to the Lord. And so Peter is very much aware of this as he's writing this. And so, uh, again, I love the fact that, you know, Peter, though he's humble in and of himself, what does he say here? He doesn't say, hey, I'm Peter, you know, I'm the Pope. You know, some people believe that Peter was the first Pope, and there's nothing in church history that could ever prove or demonstrate that, other than the fact that, you know, Peter, again, is mentioned first throughout Scripture, but you can't make that connection and say that made him the Pope. Like, I guess you could say it, you just couldn't ever prove it with any credibility. But he calls himself a fellow elder. And you think about that, a fellow elder. So he's wanting to speak on the level as someone who can relate. And, and that you hear me say that a lot from this pulpit with regard to Peter, that, you know, I can relate to Peter in his humanness, right? Uh, his frailty, uh, his stupidity, you know, at times uh, that he'll boast of something and then the Lord would have to humble him. Um, you know, and I think we can all relate to Peter in different ways that we want to, you know, exercise great faith, but we realize that, you know, we're pretty fragile uh, as human beings. But yet Peter was someone who, and especially you, you, you see the, the authority that comes with this. He, he's saying, you know, I, I saw him suffer. I was with him. He was there throughout Jesus' earthly ministry. He walked alongside him. And Jesus suffered. It wasn't just the last week of his life. There was much suffering throughout his life. He was rejected constantly by the religious leaders of his day. You know, people, you know, again, whether it was verbally or whatever, you know, would seek to torment him. And then ultimately they did so physically, and Peter was a witness to that. Now, it doesn't mention in Scripture that Peter was there at the cross. Maybe Peter, at that point, what he was doing was watching from a distance. It doesn't mean that he didn't see, you know, the crucifixion, but, you know, John doesn't mention, Luke doesn't mention, Mark doesn't say that, you know, and Peter was there, but we know that John was, and we see that, you know, in Scripture. So we know that Peter was there in the courtyard when, when Jesus was on trial, when he was beaten, he was scourged. So Peter was an eyewitness to the suffering of, of Jesus. And so here he is as someone who's been there. And so I was thinking about this. You know, here we are in the middle of COVID-19, right? And, and a lot of the fear that we have today in the world is simply because nobody has any connection to anybody making it through, you know, whether it's an epidemic or pandemics, you know, that exist. But if you went back and you looked at all the epidemics and the pandemics that have, have existed in the, in the world, you know, you think of bubonic plague and you think of yellow fever and typhoid fever, you know, influenza, you know, measles, I mean, smallpox, I mean, all the, the things that have ever happened. And you go, there's one person who's been through all of that, right? Who is that? It's God. God was there. He was there in every single one of those instances. So it, don't you, like me, I find comfort when I can go to somebody who's been there, right? If, if whatever you're going through, like, you know, like cancer patients do really well when they can talk to someone who's had cancer and say, who's beat it, right? And they can come in and they go, this is what you're going to expect. This is what you're going to go through. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, because you're seeing somebody who what? Who's on the other side of it. Does that make sense to you? And so here we are, you know, with suffering in our world today, 
and we don't have people that we can connect with. And so there's this tremendous fear. And, and Peter recognizes that. And this is, like I said, as, as my job as a pastor, as we move forward into this next year, and the church is going to go through, I believe, a greater persecution than it's ever known in the history of at least the United States, okay? And I think about, you know, what's my job going to be? And I think about that, and I pray about that. And what I would hope, and the team that we have, you know, in the pastors and the leaders of this church are men and women who want to give you direction, who want to point you to the Lord, who want to provide comfort for you in the midst of your affliction. David Jeremiah, one of my favorite pastors, he'd say, you know, really, he goes, the ministry, it's, it's well, there's nothing easy about it. He goes, but, but you can really break it down into two things. He goes, your job as a pastor, he said, is to afflict the comforted, is to get them up, is to get them moving, get them doing something. And he goes, and then to comfort the afflicted. Because if you step out to serve Jesus, guess what? You're going to get a gut punch. You're going to be persecuted. Those who desire to live, if you're not suffering persecution, you could probably look in the mirror and go, am I really living? I mean, because you could just be doing church work, right? You go, man, I love doing Bible studies because everybody likes me and we pray for one another and we hug. And, you know, at the end of First Peter 5 here, we get to even greet each other with the holy kiss. You know, oh, that's, you know, I like that. We've got a lot of good looking people at our church, you know, that type of thing. People go, you know, really? You go, but if you're really living for the Lord and you're out there, you know, as many of you are, because you don't work in a church, you are out in the public realm and you're sharing your faith with people and not everybody appreciates it, especially anymore, right? And they have no problem telling you and the rest of the world, you know, where you need to get off at that point. And so to be able to comfort people in that and go, hey, you know, don't give up and don't quit and don't, definitely don't let them marginalize you because that's what you're seeing now. Don't let them cancel you out. And, and we love the fact, and I, and I see where more and more pastors who, not who are becoming belligerent, because that, that's not what we should be. We need to be respectful, you know, but we can, we can call things out. But at the same time, you know, I see people going, you know, hey, I love going to whatever that church is because they go, you know, they are standing up for truth. They are standing up, you know, for righteousness. And people appreciate that because they realize that there is a cost to that. There is a cost to honoring God in your life. And so Peter, you know, begins this and he's saying, okay, you know, remember this, you as elders, right? You, you remember this, that there's a lot of people who are hurting because they are seeking to stand firm and they are calling themselves Christians. They, they are taking that name and they take it seriously and they're not afraid to stand up for, for God. But when they do, they're going to get beat up. And you need to be there for them. You need to be in their life. You need to be able to speak truth to them. You need to remind them of the hope that's theirs in Christ Jesus. Because the world is going to try to strip that away from you. It's to make you think that loving Jesus isn't worth it. That there is no glory. That it's all eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow you surely die. You know, just go for it today type of thing. And you're watching and we're seeing that happen in the church today. In these last days in which we live, it says the many the love of many will wax cold. People are falling away. And it's sad. And you go, so what do you do in the role of a pastor? And I so much appreciate the, the men and women, like I said, that serve in ministry. And they don't have to be on our staff. They are just serving God here in this church. And they're assisting us. And they're doing what? They're, they're going after people. They're, they're communicating with people. They're staying in contact with people. 
They're looking for those people that, hey, they used to see, but now they don't see them anymore. You know, see, not one person can do everything. You know, it's like I've shared with you all through this pandemic is what, you know, nobody can minister to everybody, but everybody can minister to what? Somebody. Yeah. And just to be prayerful about that, it, it doesn't have to, in the sense, kill us of this. And so here's Peter, you know, as an eyewitness uh, of the sufferings of Christ. So what is he saying? He's going, unlike you, I was there. And, and that's, that's good because it's the same thing. Like I said, if someone could come to you today and say, hey, I've been through all these pandemics. I've been through, you know, I mean, think about it. The HIV virus, you know, in the world today, it's claimed over 32 million people, okay? There's still no cure as far as I know for the HIV virus, but you don't hear a whole lot about it. People have chosen to do what? To go on with life. See, because at some point in their mind, they went, well, that will only infect people who what? Who are promiscuous and people who are having, you know, sexual relationships with other people. That's not true. They could get AIDS other ways through contact because, again, how HIV was spreading as a blood disease. People, innocent people were dying of what? Just simple blood transfusions. So it was spreading and there was a fear that people were having. You go, but then what happens? You go, well, there's ways to treat it. There is no cure, but there's ways to treat it. And we've had all kinds of things that have occurred and people that get vaccines and people that don't get vaccines. And so Peter's reminding us there, he says, you know, again, being a partaker of the glory. And, and you think about that. He, he, he's now not just saying, unlike you, I've seen the suffering of Christ. He goes, but like you, I too am waiting for the glory of God. And so he's reminding them again, you know, again, it's not just about the things in the past, but it's also to look ahead. And, and you've had people in your own life, just like I have people in mind that will remind me, they go, Mike, don't, don't, don't stay focused on that. Hey, or you'll, maybe you can start to dwell on something that's negative, right? And they go, no, look for the good. They're, 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 see the good in this. There's good in, in anything and everything if you see God in it, because God is working in everything. All things, he didn't say some things, right? He said, all things work together for what? For good to them that love God. It's only God who can redeem that. He's a God of redemption, and we need to allow him to do that. And so Peter's saying, you know, I just... I know how the story ends, you know? I love that. I tell you that all the time, you know? When I first got saved, you know, I cheated. I just want you to know. I read the back of the book. I wanted to know how the story ends. I mean, if it ended bad, I wasn't going to waste my time. I was like, I don't need any more bad news in my life. But man, I've seen how it ends. It ends gloriously, amen? Yeah, Jesus is coming and he's going to make every wrong right. He's going to restore the world back to what it was, just like in the Garden of Eden. He's going to make all things new. No more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, right? It's all been defeated. Like I said, Colossians 3, 4 puts it like this. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The, Matt's going, I don't have that verse. You will, second service. Colossians 3, 4. Because I'm just thinking of that. Partaker of his glory. Verse 2 goes on, it says, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. So again, these are the words that Jesus himself spoke to Peter some 35 years before this. Remember in John chapter 21, where he restores Peter, right? And he says, Peter, he says what? You know, feed my sheep, you know, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. He's talking to him as 
a shepherd, feed my sheep. Speaking of, you know, you think about the role of a shepherd here. As you look at this, you know, take that definition. It really simply means to feed and to lead and to protect. That's what a shepherd did. He fed the sheep, he led the sheep, and he protected the sheep, okay? And that's, that's what a good shepherd does. John chapter 10, Jesus put it like this in verse 11. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling, someone who's just doing it for the money, says, he who is not a shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. I, 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 this is my personal take on this in the midst of COVID. It'd be a lot easier going forward just to go, hey, guys, we can't meet. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll do something online. and You guys just come online and watch and stuff. I, I can't shepherd you online in the truest sense. I can feed you online, but I really can't lead you online, and I can't really protect you online. You go, you do that by being together. You do that by, you know, again, the sheep were with the shepherd. It's coming together. And we have lots of shepherds here. We have men that shepherd. We have women that shepherd. It's, it's being together. You know, and I think that's what, when Peter, excuse me, when the writer of Hebrews was saying, not forsaking the gathering of the saints, you go, because we're watching it happen. People are being led astray. People that you know, and I know, I mean, you don't have to go back in history, people in your life right now, that they, they're falling away from God because they're not being led and they're not being fed. And they're not being protected. And they're watching all kinds of stuff. And we have to sit down with people every week. They're, hey, I was watching this. I was watching this. And you, okay, well, I'd be careful. Not because we go, oh, I, I know that name. You go, no, let's look at it. And then you go, why? Why? Because a lot of it's tantalizing. A lot of it sounds appealing. It sounds like it would be good. You go, but it's end result. The ways of a man seem right in his own eyes, but its end does what? It brings forth death. Yeah. And so he says, the hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. He says, and speaking of himself, he says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am known by my own. The apostle Paul, speaking of Jesus, he uses the metaphor of marriage, right? And he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, right? And, and again, Paul said, I'm speaking of a mystery. He's not talking about marriage. He goes, I'm talking about Jesus, that he gave his life for his bride. So the word shepherd, pastor, just interchangeable there. You know, an elder is always a pastor, okay? That you need to understand in scripture. But a pastor isn't always necessarily an elder, okay? And we, we see that throughout scripture. You can read that in First Timothy. You know, sheep, <laughs> I think about this, they're not the smartest animal, okay? You, you, it's really always funny to me when I read this. You know, in Isaiah 53, 6, it says, All like sheep we have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the inequity of us all. <laughs> and I love that. All we like sheep have gone astray. Sheep have to be led. I mean, if you've ever gone out and watched sheep, have you ever seen sheep where their mouth is all dirty? Their, their whole face is just dirty. And you go, why is their face dirty? And you go, because if you don't lead them to green grass, you know what they'll do? They'll eat the dirt. They're just there and they're down there. We brought our bikes out on the bike path going out to Enos Lane and you'd see them out there and they'd be, you know, first they're scared to death of you. You know, they, they first, as soon as they see something like deer, you know, they just, they just run away. And then you look at them and their faces just, and you go, and you look over there and you go, why don't they just walk 10 feet and go to the grass? 
They're dumb. And, and here's Jesus going, and all we, me, you, we're like sheep, you know. You know, unless somebody leads us to green grass, you know, that's why we love the 23rd Psalm. He leads us, right? I grew up playing sports. I, you know, I, I remember teams like my favorite team growing up was the Los Angeles, what? Rams. Now people teased us and they called us the Los Angeles, what? Lambs. But those are fighting words. I've never played on a team, never got to play a team that had the name Lamb you know, as their mascot. Could you imagine that? You're coming out there. You've seen some, you know, the Broncos, right? They come out and the horses jumping up and down, you know, everything. And then this, you can imagine that, the lamb coming out. You go, I want to play this team. I can't wait to play this team. And their mascot's there. And then you let the, the lamb go and it just, you'd see it just, it just runs heads for the exit, you know? And yet that's what we are. That's why we need to be led and fed and protected. So when he says, as an overseer, this came, you know, really not from the Jewish culture, you know, but from the Roman culture. You know, it was like someone who owned a business that someone, you know, they oversaw, they managed, you know, might, you know, might say. Um, it's where we get our word bishop from, one who oversees. And like I said, it, it can be a, a business term there. Uh, and it says, you know, not by compulsion, you know, and those who lead and serve and ministry in the church, they're not forced to do so. You know, I always, you know, challenge people when they come and if they're, you know, complaining about their ministry or, you know, complaining about this, I go, just quit. You can quit. What do you mean I can quit? I go, you're a volunteer. Just quit. No one's forcing you to do this. this, this we, we, we all, in a sense, even if you're paid, you, you're volunteering. You can quit any time that you want. Oh, I can't quit. You know, no, you, you can, you, you can, and maybe you need to <laughs> even more. So it's important because if you can't do it with joy, you know, and I used to share this with, you know, pastor Chuck would tell the story about the guy who, who was giving his tithes and offering, but he was giving it, you know, begrudgingly. Right. So he writes pastor Chuck a letter complaining about everything about the money and Chuck sends his check back to the guy. I told you, I was, man, I don't even know if I could do that. You know, so, you know, but he, he told the guy, he says, God loves a cheerful giver. He says, if you can't give cheerfully, he says, just keep your money. He says, because you're really wasting your, your money. He goes, we don't need your money. He goes, to give is a blessing to you as the one who gives, to be able to do it with joy. And scripture says, you know, to set aside something at the, the first of the week that you could, you could give. I mean, giving is, is, is about loving. It's about caring. It's about sharing. You know, we teach our, our grandkids, you know, Caring is sharing, right? Or sharing is caring, however you want to say it. And, and it's so true. That, that's, that demonstrates that kind of heart. It says, you know, not for dishonest gain. You know, again, you're either called to minister. You know, it, it's that thing of, you know, the easiest way to lose a position here at Calvary Chapel is to tell me that it's not your job. And all of our staff knows you that, any job in the life of a church is our job. If that's cleaning bathrooms, picking up, you know, paper on the campus, scraping bubble gum off something, whatever it might be, if that's what's needed, that's what we do. No one has the ability to say, well, that's not my job. You know, it's not Jesus. Jesus girded himself, you know, scripture says, and he did what? He washed feet. That's what he did. And people, and Peter in his pride did what? He wanted to stop Jesus from doing it, right? 
That was below him because, see, people look at things and go, oh, you know, uh, you, you can't do that. There was a story about when Ronald Reagan was shot and he was in the hospital that one of his nurses came in and found him down on the floor and he was cleaning up water in the bathroom. And she said, you know, Mr. President, you know, we have people that can do that. And he said, well, I know that. He said, but um, I didn't want anybody to get in trouble for there being water on the floor. So I, I cleaned it up. And you think, wow, <laughs> you know, the president of the United States is down there covering for somebody. And you go, but that's what a good leader does. Jesus said that he laid his life down for the sheep. That, that's, that's the privilege that we have. It's not, you know, oh, I get paid to do this or, you know, this, you know, whatever it is. Not dishonest gain, but eagerly. You know, that we're looking at one another and go, not because I have to, but because I get to. You know, so when people are complaining all the time, and if you find that, you know, and people do, what they have to look in their heart is go, you know what, maybe it's time for you to step aside because God is going to begin to resist you. Maybe he's not in that moment, but that's what Peter is alluding to here. This is where this is going. When you do things begrudgingly and you can't do it with joy any longer because it's a terrible testimony. It's a t terrible testimony of who Jesus is. Because the Bible says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, right? And he despised its shame. Joy, even in the midst of pain. You know, verses three and four there, it says, nor is being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. It says, when the chief priest appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And I, and I love this. He says, you know, not as lords uh, over those entrusted to you. And, and the point is, anyone who serves in leadership, you know, and, and again, we're not a membership-driven church, so everybody votes with their feet, right? You're here because you choose to be here. You're here because you want to be here. And, and Peter is reminding you, the sheep aren't yours. <laughs> you know, so don't be heavy-handed. They don't belong to you. They belong to God. They're not there for you to boss around and say, hey, this is what you do and this. Yes, we need direction. There is a gift of leadership. There's administrations. There's all kinds of things. But Peter's reminding you, don't, don't be... He didn't say, don't be heavy-handed. He says, don't be too heavy-handed. There is a time, like I said, as, as Pastor Jeremiah said, you know, that there are times when you have to afflict the comforted. And, but most of the time, hopefully, it's you're comforting the afflicted. It's just like being a parent. I mean, you don't have to give your kids you know, physical discipline all in every day of their life, even though maybe they deserve it or need it. But it's something you go, man, I, don't, I just don't want to have to do it. And I meet with parents all the time. So I'm tired of just having to discipline my kids. And you go, well, it's going to pay off. Eventually, you know, it, it does pay off. Some kids are just, you know, more stubborn than others. But the Bible is very clear. Hold back not the rod of correction, for in doing so you save their soul from hell. There, there's, a, there's a point in time when, when God says, you're going to have to exercise that. But the best way is what Peter says, but be an example to the flock. Don't lead as a Lord over someone, but what? Lead as a servant. You know, James Dobson used to say it all the time with regard to parenting. The best way to get your kids to go any place that you want them to go is lead the way. Just be a model, be, be an example. And the end result of that is you'll receive, he says, the crown of glory that doesn't fade away. You know, very little of our rewards with Jesus are here on earth. There's blessings, but the true reward is still yet to be. It'll be one day when we are there standing before the Lord and he rewards us 
as Paul would write to the church at Corinth, those things that we've done since we became born again, followers of Christ, and we'll be rewarded one day for those things. And again, and that's not just a promise to the elders or the bishops or the pastors or the overseers, that's to all believers. And I think Peter has in mind, most of you are probably familiar with this, he probably has in mind the Olympics, right? A laurel wreath or, you know, ivy and it's on someone's head, you know, a thorns, whatever the, the crown was, but it was something that was made from a living, you know, tree or a bush or something. And then eventually that, that crown, what, it dies. It crumbles and it fades away. My wife, you know, she'll go out on the golf course and get eucalyptus trees and she'll make, you know, wreaths and all kinds of things. And we had a windstorm the other day. Anybody else have a windstorm the other day? And uh, all my backyard was on the golf course. <laughs> so I was looking at all those things she'd collected. They were back out, you know, I was like, hey, but, but the reason I knew it was ours is because it was all dry. It had dried and, and I'm going, it's kind of lifeless. And so Peter's reminding us, hey, don't go for the, the lifeless, you know, crown that has a little bit of glory with it, you know, just temporal. He's like, no, no, no. Remember, 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 you know, there, there's something still yet to be. The best is, is still yet to come. He says, when the chief shepherd appears, okay, uh, I'm an under shepherd. All of our, you know, pastors and leaders, we're all under shepherds. There's really only one true shepherd, and that's Jesus Christ himself. And we all have the privilege to serve him. And so he says, in verse five, after he talks to elders, now you can see, because there's that tension that exists, you know, between, you know, the older generation and the younger, right? And he says, likewise, you younger people submit yourselves to the elders. You know, they, it's been well said that the, the air of, of, of youth is to, uh, you know, assume that intelligence supersedes experience and, and it doesn't experience really counts and yet you know somebody will go to school and they'll get some knowledge and the scripture says knowledge does what it puffs up and it's a really dangerous thing he says but yes all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for god resists the proud but gives grace to the humble it says therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of god that he may exalt you in due time so again, he's reminding the shepherds, you know, don't be heavy handed, don't lord over the flock. And, and now he's saying, but you that are younger, you need to submit to those that are actually over you. So in the truest sense, they don't have to be heavy handed. They kind of go hand in hand there together and, and to submit, you know, again, I, I love this expression that there is no salvation without submission. That's how critical the word submission is here. And, and again, sometimes in, in their eagerness, you know, our youth, you know, they don't want to listen because they're going just like my grandkids. Uh, and it's fun watching them and we laugh at it, you know, uh, well, especially with Quinny, our, our three-year-old, you know, you go, Quinny, uh, I'll hear leave her to our grandkids. She's Oma. And I'll say, you know, Quinny, Oma want, wants to help, let Oma help you with it. She looks and she has this obstinate facial expression that comes from my wife's side of the family. Um, and, and she'll, she'll look at, and she'll look at her and she's, I do it. And it's like, I don't mess with her. Cause I, I know when my wife says that to me, you know, I do it. I, okay, I get it. You know, I don't care if you're three or if you're 59. I mean, that, that, that gives me chills, you know, but I get it because there's something in us that, you know, is going, I want to do it. I, 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 I want to do it my way. My dad, I told you would tell me all the time, Mike, you don't have to make every mistake. You can learn from mine. And 
you know, as you get wounded enough times from trying to do it yourself in your pride, you start to listen, you know, after a while. And it really is true. So he says, you know, submit yourselves to your elders because God does what? He resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. It's used, you know, here in 1 Peter 5, 5, James says the same thing in James 4, 6. And they're quoting, both are quoting Proverbs, I think it's 34, or excuse me, Proverbs three thirty four, where it says, you know, that, that you know, God, the scornful will be scorned and God, you know, gives grace to the humble. And so here's Peter, he's, he's actually quoting that from uh, the book of Proverbs. So really the question this morning is, you know, what side of the equation are you on? You think about that. Are you being humble? Or are you being prideful in your life? You know, pride says, I'm so great. God has to bless me. You know, where grace says, God blesses me because he's great and he's good. And, and you think about, you know, how humility is evidence or the fruit of humility in our life. It's that willingness. Are you willing to, to take the lowest position and do things without recognition? And some people are, some people aren't. Another reminder that we're humble before the Lord is, you know, we serve God in a spirit of reliance that you realize, like Jesus said, you can do nothing apart from me. Nothing good, nothing that's eternal can you do apart from, from God. That's why, you know, John would say, I must decrease that he might increase. And Paul would say, you know, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ in me in the life that I now live. I live in the flesh by the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's that learning to be dependent upon, upon him. And humility probably is best evidenced in our life just by humble service of other people that we want to serve other people. It's a place, like I said, of dependence upon the Lord. Verse seven, I wanted to close with this today. It says, casting all your care upon him for he cares about you. You know, in the Greek language, that word casting, it, it's, not, it's not an imperative. What I mean is it's not a command. It really, in the truest sense, in the Greek language, that word casting, it means something that you can roll away that actually rolls back onto you, okay? And so it's a continual process of, of casting. It's not like you did this once. You know, sometimes we'll go through a struggle in life and you go, well, I gave it to the Lord. And you know what the Lord does sometimes? He gives it back. Have you ever found, you know, and for some of you, that's going to be an eye-opener today that you cast your care upon him and he cast it back on you. It's like hot potato. You ever played that? And you go, why would God do that? Well, what do your cares and my cares do in your relationship with God? They keep me dependent upon him, don't they? If those cares go away, you go, I have not a care in the world. And you don't care about anything. But man, when that burden is there, you know, what does it do? It, it keeps me dependent upon him. And so it's a process of continually rolling it over onto Jesus. And then Jesus at times, not all the time, but allowing those things to roll back to us so that we can roll it back to him. It keeps us in relationship with him. And I love that. True humility, then you can say, is evidenced by our casting our cares upon him. You know, one of the things when I think about, you know, the anxiety and worry and really, especially in light of COVID here, 
because that's what we're talking about is, you know, we worry about a lot of things. And what Peter is speaking to here is he's talking about casting our cares, our worries, casting our anxieties upon the Lord. And he's talking, the word that he uses is a very specific word in the Greek language. It's not just the negative aspect of anxiety that Jesus says not to worry about things. Or he says a member of Martha and Mary said, you know, Mary, you worry about so many, you know, or excuse me, Martha, you worry about so many things. You know, Mary's chosen the better part. Um, Paul talks about that he had a worry or a concern about the church. That was a positive anxiety. There's a positive you know, concern, but there's also a negative. Well, Peter doesn't, he's not distinguishing which one that, that's here. He's saying, bring all those things, bring your positive anxieties, your negative anxieties, and lay them all there at the feet of Jesus. And he's inviting us to bring all that to him. And I, and I love this. And I want to read this to you from, from Gordon McDonald's commentary. He said, worry is unnecessary. There's no need for us to bear the burdens when he, speaking of God, is willing and able to bear them for us. Worry is futile. It hasn't solved a problem yet. Worry is sin because it denies the wisdom of God. It says that he doesn't know what he's doing. It denies the love of God for it says that he doesn't care. And it denies the power of God because it says God isn't able to deliver me from whatever is causing me to worry. And so I wanted to, as we head into communion here today, to ask you, you know, what, what burden are you carrying today that you need to lay down? It could be positive. It can be negative. But it's become a burden to you. And you need to today to roll that over to Jesus. And why? And this is the part I could tell you, I could say this for, you know, John, for myself, you know, for my wife, we'll be speaking to the women, Vanessa is here. And I look, you know, those that are teaching, you know, ministry and leading, teaching Bible studies. One of the greatest messages that we have the privilege to tell you anytime that we get to teach it's not the only message of the Bible, but it's a great one, is to be able to say, God loves you and he cares about you. Because see, in the day in which Peter wrote this epistle, the pagans in the world around, they had no concept that there was a God who cared. They, they came to some subtle belief that maybe God was good, but not that he cared. And so to be able to remind people, because see, we struggle with that in our life because of worry and anxiety and all the things, COVID, you look at all the things that are going around. Is, does God care? Does God care? And that's why I titled this morning's message is remember. You need to remember, as Pastor Chuck would say, you know, never trade <laughs> what you don't know, you know for what you do know. And that you would lock in on this, you know, remember that he cares about you. That's the beauty of what we get to celebrate in communion today, man. He didn't just die for you. He lives for you and he lives to make intercession for you. And he's preparing a place for you and he's coming back for you. Why? Because he cares about you. That is not some little elementary, let's make sure that our children know this over, you know, in Sunday school, which they need to know. But there's not an adult among us in the sanctuary today or those of you that are watching at home that don't need to be reminded that he cares about you. And he does. And so as we close, I love this. In Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, though the Lord's mercies 
are, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They're what? They are new every morning and great is his faithfulness. And Peter would remind us, excuse me, Matthew would in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, he says, and this is the invitation today. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And you know, today, if you're carrying a burden, he says, and I will give you rest. This COVID got you totally wiped out. And he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. You wore out today from all the stress and all the worry, all the fear of the unknown that's out there. Bring it to a God that knows everything. Like we remind you all the time, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. Amen. And Peter says, or excuse me, Matthew says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you're carrying a weight today, you're burdened down. The invitation that Peter says, roll that over to Jesus, cast all your cares upon him. And then our ministry as we go is not just to remember this ourselves, but to share this with other people. Is to go, hey, remember, God cares about you. You don't have to carry this. Give it over to him. And you know today, and we're all carrying a different load. We're all pushing a different burden. And the invitation from Jesus today is remember. Remember that he cares about you. That's what the cross is all about. Let's pray. Father, as we just go into this moment of communion where we'll take this bread and we'll break it and we'll receive this cup and be reminded that it was your blood shed for us. Lord, help us to remember. That's what you call us to do every time we come to this table is to remember what you have done for us. Remember what your death and your burial and your resurrection has provided for us. Because you live, the Bible says we live. And Lord, I pray that the stress and the strain that this COVID pandemic has brought to this country would be broken, not because there's a vaccine, but because there's a cure. You said, don't worry about what men can do to you. Don't worry about if you live or die. But to put our hope and our trust, Lord, in you, the one who raises the dead to life. And you said that those who place their hope and trust in you, that though they were dead, yet shall they live. The last enemy, death, has been defeated. And today, Lord, as we receive this bread and this cup, may we be reminded of that, that you did it because for God so loved this world that he who believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, help us to remember these things today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.